0: Okay, so I'll give everybody a few seconds to uh, get into iClicker, get out your devices, you already have all your devices out, and uh, sign into the session. So I know that iClicker can sometimes give problems if you see that your mark, if you're checking your mark and you see right away that it, it's not necessarily, it's, it's less than 80%, don't worry, a lot of the time this will be rectified. We'll have a lot more questions and uh, it's, it's nothing to panic about if uh, the mark is not where you want it to be right now, for iClicker. So on the agenda today, we're going to have, I hate this thing, Laser pointer works. Oh, it doesn't want to cooperate today, so I guess I'll have to lecture from here. Oh, I see. Okay. Never mind. Okay. On the uh, agenda today, we're going to have a quick video summary. It's about a 10-minute video, and it's more, again, about light. Light and color are synonymous, so the more you can see and learn about light, the better, the more that you'll understand color. And then for our new material, uh, I posted Assignment 1 on Moodle last night. So I'm going to talk about Assignment 1 today. We're going to open up Moodle, we're going to go through all of the questions. I'll tell you what I'm looking for and um, what I'm expecting and sort of what I'm getting at by each question. Um, And then I'll also do a quick review, a really speed review of the stuff that we talked about last time in terms of photons photons being the unit of light. And we'll also do a sample calculation, calculations of wavelengths. So, for instance, if you know a certain energy or you know a certain frequency, we'll be able to calculate the wavelength and therefore tell what color the photon that is emitted will be. Last time I left a uh, a cliffhanger, which was that we would talk about uh, just a sort of a brief, the historical overview of how we came to understand the atom and parts of the atom. Uh, so we will do that today. And finally, we will talk about Kirchhoff's laws of radiation. So I'm putting laws of radiation here because Kirchhoff was a prolific physicist and he has, uh, for electrical circuits, he has another set of laws um, which are Kirch- Kirchhoff's laws as well. So don't get confused. If you're looking on the internet and you're looking at Kirchhoff's law, they start talking about current and voltage in a circuit, it's the wrong laws. We're talking about radiation, so the emission of light by gases. So assignment one is now available. Uh, I did see after I posted it last night that a lot of you had gone in, which is great. So you've already taken a look at this. It is some short-answer questions. A couple true and false questions, and an interactive web, one of the questions is an interactive web exercise, and that web exercise uses a free site, it's an Adobe Creative Cloud site that you can go into, I'll demonstrate that, but it's a really nice site and you can sort of move your mouse slider around the colour wheel and create your own sort of set of hues of different colours from the colour wheel in any of those color schemes that we talked about before, so like analogous, triadic, complementary. And what I'm asking you to do is, once you get a set of colors that you like and you've experimented and see how the red, green, and blue values change as you move your mouse around, you'll get a set of colors and I'll ask you to draw the spectral reflectance curves of those colors as we showed earlier in class. Uh, The assignments, there's three of them for this course. They're worth 42% in total, so basically this is worth 14% of your grade. And you have about three weeks to do it. It's 13 questions out of 100 marks, um, just for convenience. It's due on Friday, February 2nd by midnight. So at 11.59, the flags in Moodle go off, and uh, your submission will not be accepted after that. I also posted on Moodle some of the dates for the other assignments. Um, with the assignments, you'll notice in assignment one we have some calculation questions. Um, while this is, you know, this course is really about understanding color, it's not um, meant to be daunting, but. The calculations do give you a basic grasp of the concepts and what constitutes color, basically the wavelength of light. So for that reason, I think it's kind of important to do those calculations. Those calculations will probably be the only calculations in the course that we will do. So your next assignment, um, assignment two, I'm thinking of having something a little bit more creative that'll allow you to create maybe some sort of an art piece or writing piece. And Assignment 3 will be some true and false questions, multiple choice questions, and um, a essay, a short format essay on a topic that you're interested in, you'll be able to select that. So February 2 is Assignment 1, March 2 is Assignment um, 2. The drop date for the course, and I hope you won't drop it, but the drop date is March 7th. So you'll have a fair chunk of your mark by March 7th to see sort of where you're, how you're doing. And then the last, in one of the last days of classes, assignment three will be due before the exam. To start with a quick review, let's watch uh, yet again a video on light But this is really nice, it illustrates all the concepts that we've been talking about in a straightforward kind of graphical manner.
1: Traveling to the 1750s, We find that scientists were putting different substances in flames and passing the resultant light through a prism. They found that the hot gases given off by the burning materials emit different colors of light or spectra. For example, ordinary table salt generated a bright yellow spectra. Furthermore, not all the colors of the rainbow appeared. There were dark gaps in the spectrum. In fact, for some materials, there were just a few patches of light. By the 1820s, they recognized that spectra provided an excellent way to detect and identify small quantities of an element in a powder that was put into a flame. Meanwhile, the white light of the sun was also being examined closely. And in 1802, it was discovered that the solar spectrum itself had tiny gaps there were many thin dark lines in the rainbow of colors but the reason for spectral lines in the light and the relationship to each substance was a real mystery traveling forward from that era to a little over a hundred years ago scientists were examining the colors of light given off by solid heated objects they discovered that these hot solids gave off continuous spectra and that the overall color of the light revealed the temperature of the object. Now this was important because scientists realized that this discovery made it possible to measure the temperature of an object from a distance. They could measure the temperature of the sun for instance. During these discoveries they also noticed that some of the objects absorbed light extremely well almost perfectly in fact. They were called black bodies because they absorbed virtually all the light that was shown upon their surfaces. These same objects also radiated almost perfectly and as noted before, the temperature of the black body object determined the distribution of colors or wavelengths in the emitted light. This curve shows how much light of each color is emitted by a cool object. As you can see, there isn't much light, and what light there is mostly lies out past the red end of the spectrum, in the infrared. The figure on the right will show the different colors added together as we progress. Right now, only red light is visible. This curve shows how much light of each color is emitted by a medium temperature object. And the most light is emitted in the orange, yellow, green wavelengths. So now we add orange, yellow, and green to our cauldron of light on the right. As you can see, the combination so far looks yellow. This third curve is for a really hot object. Lots of light, and with most of it being emitted toward the blue end of the spectrum. And as you can see, our cauldron now is pure white in the center where all the colors overlap. A heated black body follows this color path as the temperature rises. A good example of black body radiation is the heat inside a kiln. Inside the kiln, electromagnetic radiation, light and heat, exist in a form of standing waves. Waves that like the vibration of a guitar string are attached at both ends. The ends of the standing waves, like the ends of the guitar string, do not move. They are anchored to the sides of the kiln. And many, many waves exist with varying wavelengths of color. At low temperatures, the primary color inside the kiln is the infrared. And we cannot detect it with our naked eye. But as the temperature rises, the kiln begins to glow red and as the temperature continues to rise, the dominant color changes to orange, then yellow, then bluish white. The distribution of energy in light shifts to shorter wavelengths as the temperature rises. but there was a problem the scientists expected the distribution of emitted light to continue to the increase at wavelengths toward the ultraviolet end of the distribution it didn't instead there was less and less light given off as they were further and further into the ultraviolet this was called an ultraviolet catastrophe but it wasn't a catastrophe at all it was the beginning of something remarkable A truly great scientist named Max Planck soon figured out a way to explain the observation. He concluded that the energy contained in the standing waves inside the kiln did not and could not possess just any and all different amounts of energy. Instead, the quantity of energy these standing waves possess had to be limited to a few specific discrete values of energy for each color. A standing wave of blue light, for example, can have energy equal to zero electron volts, or three electron volts, or six electron volts, or nine electron volts, and so on. In general, energy equals any whole number, n, times constant, h, times the frequency of light, nu, which for blue light is any number times 3 electron volts. But notice, blue light standing waves cannot contain energy equal to 1 electron volt, or 2 electron volts, or 4 electron volts. Realizing that energy could have only discrete values was the beginning of quantum mechanics. The energy is said to be quantized, and n, from the equation above, is called a quantum number. Planck's conclusion that light energy is quantized was quickly used by Einstein to explain another puzzling phenomenon. It was known that shining a light upon a metal plate can release electrons from the plate. But the light has to have a certain wavelength before a single electron is released. We can shine brighter and brighter light on the plate forever. But if the color isn't right, the electrons stay home. Einstein concluded that the light striking the plate had to be coming in discrete bundles and unless a single bundle had enough energy to free an electron from its captivity, it would remain trapped. And as Planck has suggested, the wavelength and frequency of the light was a measure of the amount of energy each bundle carried. So, while blue-light packets might be able to free an electron, red-light packets could not, no matter how many red packets hit the plate. But wait a minute. That sounds awfully like light is a particle and not a wave. And there are mountains of data showing light behaving like a wave. Diffraction, refraction, interference, Which is it? A particle or a wave? It is both. These light packets are extremely tiny. Let's call them photons, from photos, the Greek word for light. And when you try to explain the behavior of things this small, you must resort to really unusual ideas. The ideas contained in quantum mechanics.
0: So well, that was a little bit of a, a nice review, with some good graphical explanations of everything we've discussed so far. This should all be hopefully familiar to you. Uh, so it's time, before we go over the assignment, uh, let's do a, a sort of a quick pre-quiz. But the prequiz quiz is actually for me, because I am curious from your answers as to how everything is going. Um, and if I need to speed up, if I need to slow down, and how you're finding the course so far. So please give your honest feedback. I will not be checking to see who said what on each question. Um, but this is just to, for me to get a feeling as to how everybody is doing so far. So the first question is uh, <coughs> about scientific notation. So assignment one, uses scientific notation for calculations. Select the statement below that best applies to you. And let me start off the polling here. So, I am familiar with scientific notation, but would appreciate a review with examples. I'm comfortable with using it. And what are you talking about, scientific what? Give it a few more seconds for everybody to get in their answers. Okay, so I'm going to close this off now. And there's no right answer for this, of course, but... It looks like most of you chose uh, A, so we will do some, I'm glad that you're familiar with scientific notation. Uh, it's scientific, if, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's just a shorthand way to write very, very big or very, very small numbers, expressing them as a power of 10. Uh, so if you had something with nine zeros after it, you'd have the something multiplied by 10 to the ninth power, meaning there's nine zeros afterwards. Just like in nanometers, 10 to the minus 9 would be the multiplier in scientific notation. So if you had uh, 400 nanometers, it would be 400 times 10 to the minus 9, or 4 times 10 to the minus 7. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more with that later and show some examples. Next question then. So far in the course, sure, I would need to study prior to being tested, but I understand most of what's been presented to date. I understand some of it, about 50% of, of the lecture material, or C, I feel lost. Okay, I'm starting this Oh. It's okay to feel lost. I just need to know so I can tailor things so that you don't feel too lost. Okay. Give a couple more seconds here. Okay, I'm going to close this off now. Okay, well, that's good. So again, it looks like um, 44%. are kind of, are, are understanding most of what's being presented, thank you, that, that helps. It's, it's hard for me to gauge because all of you are coming in with different backgrounds, you're all in different programs, um, it would have been a long time since you've done any, any sort of science sometimes, in some cases, or calculations, and it's not everyday material that we're dealing with, so um, judging sort of where to start is a little bit difficult, but this really helps me. another question so the pace of material what do you think of of the pace of the lectures the pace not how fast I speak but the pace of the material that's being presented the pace has been thus far it's been about right too fast or too slow And pace doesn't mean boring, because you know, whether you think the material is boring or not, it doesn't relate to the pace. But uh, hopefully you don't think the material is boring. Okay, that's great. Excellent, wonderful. It's about right. It's good to know. I'm going to shut this off here. Everybody's in with their answers. Okay. That's good to know. And then a last question. With respect to doing Assignment 1 calculations, so I am comfortable with using the equations and units presented thus far, so don't bother me with examples and waste my time. Or I am comfortable, but I'd appreciate some examples. Or I'm uncertain where to begin and would like examples. Or I feel actually anxious uh, being asked to perform calculations because maybe you haven't done calculations in a while. Okay, I'm going to uh, to close off the session. a couple seconds. All right. Good, great. Okay. So I'm comfortable. We would appreciate worked examples, and we will do worked examples today. And just keep in mind that anytime we have the calculations, I mean, sometimes the bu- this formula that we're using, like E equals h nu, th- they're very simple formula. They're just multiplying two numbers together. But what makes it look complex sometimes is the size or the smallness of the numbers. So H is a very strange number, the constant. Uh, It's times 10 to the minus 34, which is really, 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 really small. Uh, Some of the energies will be really large in joules. So don't get deterred by something that ends up looking really long when you write it out in scientific notation. Just remember it's multiplying essentially two numbers together. All right. So that is it for the quiz for me. Thank you for answering that. Before we go on to talk about assignment one, let's quickly, quickly review uh, photons again, what we talked about last time. So, As you will know, photons are light, they behave as particles and waves, and how much energy a photon has is given by its frequency or conversely, which is an inverse measure, it's wavelength, and that determines color. And that's why we're even looking at photons in this course, because the photon energy, the photon frequency and wavelength is equal to the color that you either see, if it's in the visible spectrum, from 400, approximately 400 to 700 nanometers, or you don't see. If it's in, say, if it's an X-ray, or a gamma ray, or a very, very, on the other side of the spectrum, a very, very long radio wave. You will not see those wavelengths. So while they probably have colors, the colors are imperceptible to the human brain. And this is actually something we'll get into later on when we look at vision systems and evolution and uh, biological sort of responses to light and organisms living in different conditions. As you, kn- as you probably will know, uh, a bee, for instance, will see differently than we do, and that's a function of survival essentially, but a bee, I, th- I believe, I can't remember exactly, but I have a picture that shows what a flower looks like to us, and we see this, the solid colour, whereas a bee sees much more detailed, varied hues and tones and shades. And we'll take a look at how different uh, creatures see. So a photon's temperature is related to the color of light that we see. And the higher the temperature, the shorter the wavelength. So with blue light, which is very high energy, the wavelength is short. Red light, longer wavelength lower energy, lower temperature. It's opposite. Just remember that the physical rule is opposite than what we typically use on heating devices or taps. We say cold is blue and red is hot. No, it's not. It's actually opposite. It's actually switched. Okay, so uh, photon energies now exist, as you saw in the video, they can only exist in discrete levels, which was really a shock to Max Planck when he found this out we will talk a little bit about this later, but uh, he was puzzling over quantum mechanics and and observations of atoms Um, and quantum, see he was the father of quantum mechanics, but he was essentially the unwitting father of quantum mechanics because he just couldn't believe that things had these discrete values of energy that they were only allowed to be in as opposed to having a continuous spectrum. So quantum is photon energy bundle, quantization means sort of putting a number or a value on something, quanta is the plural of quantum. And an atom's energy can be either increased or decreased proportionally by a certain amount as you climb up those quantum numbers they were showing you, n equals 1, 2, 3, 4, which correspond to the orbital shells of an electron orbiting the neutron of an atom. And the way that we determine what those energy steps are, are using frequency and the wavelength multiplied by Planck's constant H. And here's a a, a graphical representation of that. A photon, um, basically any time that a photon uh, is produced, you have either electron gaining energy, becoming more excited in an excited state or losing energy. So in the picture on the right, uh, an incoming photon hits an electron Uh, It excites the electron, the electron, you can see the little arrow pointing up, jumps up to a further out quantum number, so it goes from n equals 2 to n equals 3. Similarly, once the electron is excited, it won't stay excited forever. It will lose that energy, and when it loses that energy and has to jump back down to a more comfortable state, then the photon is emitted. And this is just showing you that the electrons each jump between these quantum energy levels, quantum numbers, gives you different colors of light. So for instance, the jump between the ground state, or n equals 1 to 2, could give you red light, whereas 2 to 3 could give you blue light, and 3 to 4 would give you violet light. And this is, this is the equation that we talked about a lot last time, and this is what you need to use for uh, calculations, basically all the calculations in assignment one. So last time we said I defined a variable, we talked about frequency and we said that was F, but we defined a different variable new which is the Greek letter nu, and nu is basically F with reference to the fact that light travels through a vacuum. So it's the frequency given a certain medium. And And I'll show you later more about how to do that. So bearing this in mind, we know this, just bear in mind that this is, frequency is kind of like the inverse wavelength. Let's take a look at a sample calculation. Last class I asked what is the wavelength of a photon, (laughs) of a radio wave with frequency of 3.2 gigahertz. Gigahertz is 10 to the 9th, so it's a billion, a billion hertz. Recall that hertz is a unit of frequency. So what's the wavelength of this? And can we actually see it? Well the first clue is, I said, a radio wave. So radio waves are very, very long and we do not see radio waves. Just think, you you can't see radio waves, but we use them for a number of purposes and uh, that's why the branch of astronomy that I have come from is radio astronomy. We use very long radio waves to study light from the most distant objects in the universe like quasars and the accretion disks around black holes. So this 3.2 gigahertz is a kind of a characteristic frequency that we might use to study light coming in from one of these distant objects. So how do we do this? How do we figure out what the wavelength is? So before you think about what equation to use, um, just think about the concept, recall the basic concepts. Remember that frequency is like the inverse, or 1 over the wavelength. So frequency, therefore, is proportional to, that's a symbol for proportional to, is proportional to 1 over lambda. Proportional to, as opposed to equal to, because it has some multiplier in there. And that multiplier has to do with C. So this is proportional to any time you're doing a calculation, and this will be really the only challenging part of the assignment question with the calculation, is to get your units right. You can't compare apples and oranges. You have to make sure all the units are standard metric system units that go into the formula properly. So our units in frequency are hertz. And we express wavelength, or lambda, in meters. Okay, so let's, let's see what we can do. So we know now that light, as well, travels in a vacuum at a constant speed C. And C is 3 by 10 to the 8th meters per second. Um, you'll see me use this notation a lot. That's just uh, the, the sort of caret symbol. I just mean 10 to the 8th. So 10 to the 8th power. Alright, so we know this. So frequency, we talked about this quantity nu. Frequency is C over lambda. Remember we said it was proportional to lambda, but we're just talking about it going through a vacuum. So frequency is C over lambda, and all you have to do, once you have this equation, is just rearrange for lambda. So you, you bring it over to the other side, rearrange for lambda, and you get lambda equals C over F. And that's the equation that you use and plug these numbers into. Before we can plug this number in, though, note that this is in gigahertz, and we're going to have to convert it to just hertz to plug it in. So here's our equation calculating the wavelength. We use this equation. Let's convert our units frequency from gigahertz to hertz. That's a billion hertz, so ten to the ninth hertz. And the way we do that, with giga being one billion, one with a... with. A, oops, I put a million, sorry, I have to change that. It should be nine zeros after it, three more zeros should be there, it's a billion. So the scientific notation is, if you have the number with the number of zeros of it, it's just ten to the power of the number of zeros, so scientific notation is one by ten to the ninth power. So when you write this all out, 3.2 hertz Typically in scientific notation, we just have one number in front of the decimal place. I mean, you don't have to, but it's just convention that you typically put the one number in front of the decimal place and shift the numbers accordingly. So with this, with 3.2 gigahertz, it would just be 3.2 times 10 to the 9 hertz. And here's what I mean about do not be daunted by the numbers. This is just a, multipl- like a, a division, essentially. It looks long and complicated just because it has very big and very small numbers in it. So C, 3 by 10 to the 8th meters per second. Make sure you put your units in there with the assignment. We will be marking for units, so please remember the units. And you can look at your units and see if they cancel out, see if you're using the right quantities. Um, again, 3 times 10 to the 8th, 3.2 times over 10 to the ninth, it equals this if you are to write it out in full length. So the 3 with the 10 to the 8th, it's 3 with 8 zeros after it. And 3.2 by 10 to the ninth is 3, 2, 3, and then 2 is one of the places of the 9 with 8 zeros after it. Does that make sense? Uh, and then and then you just do the calculation. Um, so just you know use your calculator and you'll come out with an answer in meters. That doesn't mean point 0.9 meters, that's almost. Whoops, what did I do there? Oh, it's okay, this is sorry, you did this wrong. It should be, it should be 94, 9.4. Centimeters should be 0.0935 meters. Um, Okay, so just remember that you're going to come out with a unit... I'll correct this on the slides when I post them, but you'll come out with a unit in meters, and then you can convert that to the most sensible physical unit. If it was 0.09375 meters, that doesn't mean much to us. A more convenient method would be centimeters, which is meters times 100 which would be 9.4 centimeters. Uh, when I'm asking you questions, I will typically say, please give units in such and such, so you don't have to guess of, of, about what would be a good one. So but that's 9.4 centimeters, which, which, uh, which is interesting, it's 3.2 gigahertz. You can imagine this 3.2 gigahertz source coming from a distant galaxy from a black hole Um, which has a large sort of disk of stars and hot gas around it. So when we see things in a frequency band wavelength, like the the X band, which I'll show you in a second, we know that the lengths, we're dealing with centimeter wavelengths. So about 10 centimeters or so. What do I mean by frequency bands? Well, everything, all our modern devices, Um, operate on certain frequencies and it's not just there needs to be a government not a government but there needs to be a body to regulate which devices operate on which frequencies otherwise things would be getting crossed all the time Um, so in terms of different frequencies everyday electromagnetic frequencies what device uses what is Set by a body called the International Telecommunications Union, the ITU. And this diagram, you do not need to learn or memorize this diagram. It will not be tested. It's just for your information to get a, an idea of what we call these bands in satellite communications. So each band, the L band, S band, C band, X band, KU, K, and KA band. Um, these are all correspond to electromagnetic radiation at different wavelengths. And if we could see it, which we can't in this case, they would be different colors. So just to give you an example, um, AM radio has a wavelength about a kilometer. Your TV, your your cell phone, your GPS have wavelengths between 10 meters and 1 meter. And then satellite communications and things like research for radio astronomy have centimeter wavelengths, 10 centimeters to three centimeters down to even really, really high frequencies of um, three millimeters. And there's the designation. Just gives you an example. This is what the ITU does. They're an international body. They meet often to just, it's very important to regulate these frequency bands. This is the frequency band, the range, and what they're used for. So when I said uh, astronomical research, typically S-band, NASA, deep space research, it's also a lot of military research. Um, so these are frequencies that are used for those purposes. So that's just for your information, it's just kind of an aside. Okay, so let's look at assignment one. Then. I'm going to stay over here because I have to scroll down. So the assignment is 13 questions. I think it's just the... it, it looks like it's 10, 11, 12. It just cut that off. But 13 questions. On the left side of the question you'll see what it's marked out of. So marked out of 5 for that question. But in addition to the marked out of 5, I do try and give you as specific a breakdown as possible in the question itself. So as you can see, is the light visible, express your answer in nanometers, it's five marks total. Well, that one isn't very detailed, but there'll be marks for each unit you convert, there'll be marks for plugging I- for writing down the formula, and for plugging in the numbers correctly. I have used a unit here, which may be really unfamiliar, this is petahertz or petahertz. So I'll ask you to look up what that is. Does anybody have an idea what, it's a 10 to the something number. Okay, it's really, 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 really big. So it's like 10 to the 15, 10 to the 60, anyway, take a look, don't go on my word, look up petahertz, and you'll see the conversion factor. It'll be hertz times 10 to the some power. When you express your answer, I'm asking you to express your answer in nanometers. Given that with color, we see wavelengths of a certain range in the nanometer range from 400 to 700. And if you get your express your answer in nanometers, then you'll have a chance to see if it falls within that range and whether or not we see it. So uh, That is all I'm getting at with that. Question two, it's really simple, Um, it's the color wheel, we did this in class, just drag the color names onto the color wheel, but make sure you're labeling the outer color wheel only, not this inner geometrical pattern here. Um, Just one thing when you are moving these things, uh, that little circle with the crosshairs, if you're gonna say red, put red here, just make sure you have the little circle in the space that you want because that's how it calculates where your answer is. That's very straightforward. Okay, in one or two sentences each, and again, you see this is marked out of 15, five marks per laws, and there are three laws, so that's fifteen marks. In one or two sentences each, briefly and concisely describe Kirchhoff's three laws of radiation. Well, you may not know it yet. We've already covered Kirchhoff's laws of radiation. I just didn't call it that. And we'll be doing a recap at the end. But Kirchhoff's radiation laws have to do with gas, glowing, getting very hot and glowing, and emitting light. Or absorbing light, and generating some kind of a spectrum. So all I'm asking is, one sentence or so, state each of Kirchhoff's laws. Yes? Mm -hmm. Right, so it typically, it tends to save, but what I would really, really suggest is that you maybe like just do it, just put the number and do it in a Word document, because, yeah, because it, it does save. That's the thing, so with this you have, it says one attempt, you can open it as many times as you like, you can go into this assignment as many times as you like it'll typically keep the work that you have there, there. But if Moodle crashes or if something goes wrong, you can lose all that work and that's extremely painful. So please just have a, a separate document where you're doing your word answers so that you have that for your own reference and can cut and paste if, if need be. Um, one thing is when you go into this multiple times, once you press the submit button at the bottom of everything, your assignment is submitted and is in the state where it's submitted it will be marked by the tas so please don't press submit until you are ready and confident and have reviewed uh your attempt but that's a good question thank you question four so there are some paintings these are some of you you probably recognize pablo picasso famous Uh, blue period paintings, and you can obviously see why they're called the blue period, Um, I'm just asking you in this question to name the color scheme that these paintings use. Remember with the color wheel, we talked about different color schemes, and we talked about this is one that uh, we we didn't draw this scheme on the color wheel. This has to do with using a certain color. So that's the hint. And I'll leave it leave it there for you. I asked you as well to use key color descriptors of hue, tint, and tone to explain the color scheme. Just define each term, please, in your answer. So hue is such and such, tint is such and such, to, uh, tone is such and such. I'm Hue, tint, and tone. Okay, no, sorry. I meant hue, tint, and again, I'll, I'll change that. Hue, tint, and shade is what I meant, not tone. And that goes. the reason why I'm asking you that goes with the color scheme. All right, question five is out of five. There's a uh, complicated-looking diagram. It's the chromaticity diagram just with all of the colors in the regions labeled. So the question is what is metamerism? If you go back to the lecture where we discussed the chromaticity diagram I defined meta- metamerism and gave you sort of an example but in the example when you have to illustrate metamerism in this question use this chromaticity diagram you don't have to just describe how you would do something you don't have to give me actual numbers just use color names and say how you would do something and recall that the full spectrum of colors is on this outside edge so going from blue through green to red and then these non-spectral purples question six What do we mean by opponent processing? So this may not be familiar to you because we haven't talked about it in detail yet. If you think of what the definition of opponent is as an English word, opponent means two things against each other, or two people against each other, and it relates to that. Uh, To give you a preview of that, we'll be talking about opponent processes next week, but in the meantime you can think of opponent as Think of it as colors sort of fighting each other, so opposite colors. Or remember subtractive and additive mixing? When you add something, it's equivalent to subtracting the the complement color. I can't move down. I wonder if I could... Doesn't work. All right. Uh, These are very straightforward, true and false, I don't think we need to go over that. Um, True false. Question ten out of five, how is light produced in the atom for two marks? Obviously for two marks, I'm not expecting you to write me an essay, so a couple sentences about how light is produced is sufficient. Um, For three marks, then, we have why does each atom produce only specific colors? And we sort of hinted, we got at some of that today. And I'd suggest that you l- go back and look at the video that I showed at the start of this lecture to answer that question. So if there's three marks, I'm expecting sort of three basic points, and it only has to be a couple sentences again. So how does a temperature of an object affect what wavelength of light it gives off? and what kind of spectrum does this produce? Okay, this is, again, this is stuff that we've discussed, so take a look at the video, take a look at your notes, and you should be able to come up with about four points and one point with this. Let's look at question 12. Question 12 is that interactive question that I mentioned to you, where we're going to use this website to create a color scheme and then draw the spectral reflectance curves of those colors that we see in the color scheme. So let's go to this website right now and take a look. It's a really kind of fun, nice website. Color rule here. um, You'll notice some of those color schemes that we discussed from Itten's uh, color wheel. We have the analogous color scheme. Does anybody remember sort of what that is? Colors which are next to each other. Yeah, exactly. So we have analogous, monochromatic, triadic, complementary. You can ignore the last uh, three, compound, shades, and custom is obviously a custom one. We haven't talked about it. So in the question, I ask you to choose a triadic, or analogous color scheme. Please choose only a triadic or analogous color scheme. If you choose a monochromatic scheme, which is just a series of hues, it's like a series of blues or a series of reds or something, uh, it's d- it doesn't have the same impact when you try and draw the spectral reflectance curves. Too easy. So if you, if you give me a monochromatic scheme or some other kind of scheme than analogous and triad, the TAs will not mark you on that. So. Make sure you are using either analogous or triadic. Let's do an example with triadic. Um, You simply drag the sliders around, and you can see that triadic equal triangle-spaced relationship on the color wheel. So drag it around until you get something you kind of like with relatively different colors. Let's look at these colors, then. So we've got kind of a dark orange, a lighter orange, a yellowy green, a dark blue, and a grey blue. The axes here that are represented, it gives you down at the bottom, so let's look at green for instance, it gives you an RGB value. That's a a value of red, green, and blue in the color. So this, actually let's look at this one, because it's easiest, the front. Um, So the red axis, you can put more more or less red in this color, so that's doing the opposite of red, going to green. Less red, you can see the red's gone to zero here, slide it up, the red goes to a maximum value of 255. This is the red slider, the green slider, and the blue slider. These help you with the spectral reflectance curve because we've already drawn curves of what red, green, and blue, pure red, green, and blue look like. So you can use that as kind of indicators to see where the peaks in your spectral curves will be. This slider at the bottom here is just our equivalent of value. The lightness or darkness. And usually the value we've talked about goes from complete you know, black to complete white, so absence of light to all light. Uh, this doesn't quite do that, the scale is a little bit different, but it goes from black or no light to the full saturation of the color. Okay, asking a question here, with this particular slider, If you remember spectral reflectance curves, this is what they look like. You have vertical axis, the y-axis, which has reflectance. I'll just put it like reflectance. 100%, 0%, this is in percent. And on the x-axis, we just have our continuous spectrum so we are going from a range of 400 or so nanometers to 700 nanometers okay so which end is going to be red which end is going to be blue anybody wanna shout left which left or right is going to be red yes left okay sorry yeah, left is, is going to be red, so you've got your red, R, G. Typically, green wavelengths peak at about 550 nanometers, And we have our sort of blue moving into violet here. So if we had just red, a really bright red, remember that a really bright thing, if you're going to draw something that's white. We have a lot of light, the reflectance would be at 100%. If it's reflecting all light all across, it would be a straight line, and that would be your very, very bright white. If you wanted black, it's going to be almost zero reflectance. Light is not being reflected, it's being absorbed. So you'd have the same thing, you'd have a, a line denoting black at the zero level. And if you just had this bright red, let's say the red is almost 100% bright, then you'd have your peak here, something like this, in the red wavelengths, and it would eventually, depending on how light or dark it is, go down like that. So how do you know what level it goes down to? Is it going down to here, or is it going down to here? What do you think that depends on? Yes. It, well, other colors mixed in, that's true. If you're, but if we're just looking at in terms of, let's say it's, it's pure, it's really pure red. It's like a linear spectrum, it's just a, a peak. And you're trying to figure out, let's say it does this. You know it does this, and it ends kind of here, this peak. How do you know if the curve starts like going like this or like this? And the way that we know that is through the value. That's the brightness or the lightness. Remember we said white's up here, black's down here. So if we had a line that goes down to this, it means it would be a bright red with no other wavelengths being there. If we had a line that went up like this, and peaked, and was like this, what value is this? Let's say it's about 75% reflectance. So in this case, you think of it as a series of grays. So you think of from black at the bottom to white at the top, if you're at 50% reflectance, that's a middle gray color. So if you had a muddy muddy red that kind of had a lot of grey in it, you'd have your spectral peak, and that line would kind of be in the mid-level here at 50% grey. And this is what this line is for. So if you move this line this way towards the black, let's say this was this curve, then all of a sudden it would go down like this. If you moved it over to the other way, it would go up like that. Right. And that's all, th- that's, that's about, uh, that's all I'm really asking in this question. So once you have some colors that you like, uh, take a screenshot Typically, uh, if you open two browser windows and just have one in the background where I can see your Moodle open with your name, so I know that it's you actually taking the screenshot, please uh, do this, just take the screenshot of the colors. Make sure that you don't cut this part off because I would like to see the values of the colors to see how accurate your spectral reflectance curves are. So once you do this, now in this question, to keep drawing on this side of the board because of the light. So once you have these five colors, uh, take a piece of paper. If you wish to do it electronically, you can do that. You can use a, a paint program or an illustrative program, that's fine. Uh, just create the five axes with the reflectance and the spectrum for all five and draw your color curves. And please, you know, give them a label. So for instance, call this A, B, C, D, E. A, B, C, D, E. So I know which is which. Or so that I know that you know which is which. Okay. And then, you know, if you do it on the computer, great. You can submit it as a JPEG or um, a PDF. If you do it by hand, uh, take a scan of it, and just submit an image file to me and that question accepts an image file. And here's again this axi- the axes that you'd use for drawing the spectral curves. And that's it and that's, that's worth 28 marks because each um, spectral curve that you draw is worth five marks. Okay, question 13. Finally, we're on the last question. It's another calculation question. Um, It's it's about a hydrogen atom, which has very distinct lines which are very important. You can recognize them easily. And again, going back to astronomy, especially in astronomy, you can recognize distinct hydrogen lines which tell you certain properties about stars that you're looking at. So a photon with a wavelength of 434 nanometers is absorbed by the hydrogen atom. What is the energy, the net energy that, okay I've got to, I say that the atom will gain, I mean that the electron will gain. So it's a, it's being absorbed at a specific level. Here's a hydrogen atom, photon comes in at 434 nanometers. nanometers. There's an electron here. It absorbs that energy and jumps to a higher level. So that's, that's the equation that we looked at before, E equals H nu. And uh, we just showed an example of how to calculate that make sure you do your units, make sure you do the conversions, write the formula, write a sentence at the end to uh, state what you got, and um, that will be worth five marks. But then I've asked you to express the amount, the energy, in electron volts. So normally with that formula, E equals H nu, what, what unit would the energy be in typically? not hertz, because frequency is hertz, remember cycles per second is is hertz. So the energy itself, remember we said energy is the ability to do work. And when you're doing work, it is a joule. So energy would normally be in joules. In terms of the atom, you know, it, it gets, the energies are ridiculously small. They're like 10 to the minus 19 joules, which is pretty much meaningless. So we have another unit that means more in terms of the atom called the electron volt, and I'm asking you to look up the value of an electron volt, and then convert your answer from joules to electron volts. It is pretty straightforward, if you look up the value you'll see and you'll see probably most of the conversion calculators pop up right away as soon as you look it up in Google. but um, this is this is what this is asking for. Please state your source where you found the value. Just a web link is fine, and show me the conversion, and then report your answer in electron volts. And that is the end of the assignment. A hundred marks I mean it's it's all material that we've covered. If you're feeling at a loss, just go back to your notes. Basically every single question in this assignment can be found in your notes. Okay, Uh, So we're going to take a little break now, and then after the break we'll continue with uh, doing the history of the atom. So it's 9.40, we'll come back at uh, A 10.